Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 69. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on my book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm so pleased to have on my show Representative Mike Kelly, a Republican from Pennsylvania. I came across Mike when uh, I was watching the IRS hearings and I saw his common sense approach to the IRS uh, hearings and the, and the former director there, and, and uh, it was refreshing, and I contacted him, and he's more than happy to come on the show. Mike, uh, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Uh, thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Dose of Leadership is really getting the message out to a lot of everyday Americans, and they get a chance to meet us maybe in a little, a little different form than they're, than they're used to. So this is good, and I, and I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's, it's essential for the country. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. I tell you, you know, I've been kind of burnt out in my politics, and then in talking to a lot of folks, even on the on this show, um, I can't remember, one of my guests said, well, you know, you can't really ignore politics. you got to be a part of it, and I kind of tuned out, and when I started this podcast, I started talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are out there doing positive things, and I got re-energized again, and you're out there in the middle of the belly of the beast, I guess, and so... Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got involved in politics. You're relatively new to it, but I got to tell you, your, your approach to what I've seen is uh, fresh face and, and reassuring to a lot of us out there. Well, you know, I probably, really, if it had not been for the General Motors uh, takeover by the government, uh, you know, I probably would never have run for an office uh, like this. Uh, and it was because of a direct involvement that really woke me up. Uh, I I run a business. I own a business that I bought from my father in the late 90s that he had started in 1953. After coming back from the war, he was a parts picker before the war in a Chevrolet uh, factory or uh, warehouse. Uh, went to the war, came back, went back to work for Chevrolet in the warehouse, and then worked his way up through that uh, to the to those positions. Uh, became a regional sailor, a, a district sales manager, and then we got our own dealership in 1953. It was a little one-car showroom, a Chevrolet store in a little town called Verona, Pennsylvania, which is in the east uh, side of Pittsburgh, and then and, uh, ran that quite successfully. Uh, and then 1957, moved to where we currently are in Butler, Pennsylvania. And as I said, I bought the, the business from my father in 1997, added Hyundai franchise and a Kia franchise, and had 110, 115 people that worked at, at the store. Uh, been working with these people for a long, long time, but to go through the General Motors wind down and go through an arbitration process where you had to go, you had to go through an arbitration process to keep what you already owned. It was being shut down. Uh, the decision was made uh, that certain people were not going to be allowed to keep their franchises. 
didn't have anything to do with their ability to run the business. It had nothing to do with where they capitalized, where they meeting all the metrics. It just had to do with somebody had made a decision, and to this day, I still don't know why those decisions were made. But at that point, I really got involved in politics in a bigger way. Uh, went to arbitration, spent a little bit over $60,000 in legal fees, but got the dealership back. They were going to take the Cadillac franchise from us. Uh, got the Cadillac franchise back. And then after that, because of being involved, uh, some people started saying, you know, you had to run for, run for office. So I said, oh, I, I, I don't think so. I'm a, I'm a business person. I don't get involved in politics and uh and they said, well, that's, that's the problem. We don't have enough business people there. So piqued my interest. I went into a 13-person Republican primary for the 2010 uh, election, uh, got through the primary, uh, and then won the general election. So uh, came to Congress two years ago, two and a half years ago, I guess now, uh, with the 112th and now serving in the 113th uh, session. So uh, my background is really just small town. Served on our school board, served on our city council here for four years, for a school board for four years. Uh, I've done an awful lot of work in our industry, serving on different organizations. Uh, last one I was on, I was the uh, uh, vice chairman of the Hyundai National Dealer Council and also sat on the, the Kia Dealer Council. I'd served on Chevrolet's councils and uh, really had gotten to know a lot of people and made friends uh, going through the wind down, then going through the Cash for Clunkers program, where the biggest, uh, I never had a receivable on my books. It was this big. It was over 600000 that the government owed us for uh, cars that we had sold to customers, and we were still waiting to be reimbursed by the government for the, the, the fees on the cash for clunkers. I had some friends that were, were owed over uh, $2 million and really strapped a lot of us for working capital. But as a result of all that, got involved in politics, ran through that process, got elected, and now I'm sitting... Uh, representing Pennsylvania's 3rd District, which is a great honor, uh, and trying to just to bring some small-town, uh, small business common sense into, into, the, uh, into the fray and trying to look at it and say, my gosh, this doesn't make sense. There's no way you could do this in your, your own business. There's no way you could do it in your schools or your churches. Why do we think we could do it in government and keep on this trajectory that's absolutely disastrous for the country? So that's why I'm here, and that's what we're fighting for every day. Well, I tell you, two and a half years into it, tell me a little bit and be honest about what – I, I would get the sense if I was there that it just seems – and I know from my perspective here, it seems so overwhelming. Like there's this big wheelbarrow going down – the hill. In fact, I just had lunch an hour ago with a, uh, a friend of mine, and we were talking about this. That it just seems like you you get this sense out there in the country. People like myself, it's like, wow, you can't stop it until it implodes. Give me a sense of how you feel being inside the Beltway. Are you optimistic? Um, are you more discouraged in that two and a half years? Just give me an honest sense of where you think where you think we're at, and and how we can turn this around. Well, first of all, I mean, the discouraging part is to sit there. And listen to people, they continue this mantra that all we have to do is tax more and spend more money and we'll be all right. It's absolutely upside down thinking. That part is frustrating. And I think what's frustrating about it for me is I look at these folks and they actually, they believe it. They believe this. And then you look into their backgrounds. And that's one of the things I've been trying to do uh, when I talk to people. Look into their backgrounds after I talk to them and say, well, okay, I can see why they think this way, but here's the problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and we've got to change it. So, no, I'm not frustrated. I think I'm frustrated in the fact that I, I think there's too many people serving in office who come into office for one reason, and that's to stay in office. Uh, and they'll think, say, and do things that aren't 
aren't uh, constructive, aren't going to change the country, but are going to continue down the same path. That part is frustrating. The other part, though, the fact that a guy like me, a, a guy from a little town in western Pennsylvania, a car dealer, can run for an office and work your tail off to get there. And these are not easy offices to get into. I represent 705,687 people in Pennsylvania, northwest Pennsylvania. So you say, that well, the, the model is absolutely incredible. Uh, the fact that you can go and you can serve, the fact that you can go and, and bring change to it, that's encouraging. There's no other place in the world that you can have the, the type of interaction that we have uh, outside of maybe some kind of a military uh, takeover or something. So when you look at this, I mean, we have very significant elections that we go from one day to the next day, the day after the election, the country isn't enough people, maybe disappointed, but life goes on. You don't see all kind of instability in the streets, and people may be disappointed, but they still say, you know what, it's still my country. I'm going to work as hard as I can to make it better. So disappointment uh, in some of the, the people that are there in their attitudes or their, their false belief that you can spend your way out of this, uh, bar your way out of debt, but awfully hopeful because of things that you're doing right now and a lot of other people are doing, we're getting in the citizenry educated, which goes back to the beginning when they say, look, look, you're going to have to have a highly educated electorate to keep this together. And I think what's happened maybe for too many years now is that we just assumed that whoever went to represent us knew what they were doing. We didn't really hold them accountable. We let them do things that are totally uh, upside down uh, that aren't sustainable other than the fact that they are going to drive us over the edge. So, yeah, I'm disappointed about some of the, the folks that don't uh, seem to look at uh, in a way that I think would be positive, but not disappointed in the fact that I still think that our uh, form of government is the best there is. There's no place else in the world like this. And I think we are sitting right now on a renaissance, especially with our energy sources that we have. And I'm talking about the fossils. Now, I know a lot of people like to talk about green. That's fine. But we have such a great opportunity in America right now to really just dominate the world economy. I know. And I think it's, it's, it is encouraging. And I see things like that, uh, to, to touch on your point, the um, sense of enthusiasm, of optimism that I see out there in the entrepreneurial class. Um, as I've gotten more, especially in the last six months, as I've gotten more in tune with it, in touch with it, I get totally jazzed when I see um, how some people are just kind of, you know, ignoring and um, kind of all the negativity out there, and they're and they're out there and they're crushing it. And I love that, you know, and and that yeah. that's what gets me excited. And then when I see things like the common sense approach uh, that you do, and again, I love the fact that you're a businessman because I think that entrepreneurship really is the key to turning all of this around. You know, small business, uh, free enterprises is, is the the way this is going to get solved. And you're right. And to your point on the energy stuff of looking up there, up in um, North Dakota and South Dakota, uh, yeah. look at the turnaround that they've had up there. Oh, it's, it's listen, the sky's the limit. Now, you know, in western Pennsylvania with the Marcellus uh, shale finding, which is natural gas. And there, Richard, when you look at the projections, and keep in mind that the projections that we're talking about are ones that we have we know about and have tested and can verify it. There also, there's more. When you talk to the people that are the geologists, there's more beneath here. Just because we haven't core sampled it yet, and you can't you can't say it's there until you've core sampled it. All the formations are there. All the indicators are there. Everything is lined up right now for an America that is in incredible position to just dominate a global economy. And my goodness, 
with the cost of energy coming down the way it is, the use of energy to, that we use to manufacture, to live with, everything else is getting much slower. That keeps us, we're still competitive in a world market because it costs us less to do these things. Our energy costs are low, so we can afford to pay a little bit more. Our standard of living goes up, and my goodness, the last five years, I think we've lost about $5,000 a year for the middle-income families. It went from about fifty-four or $55,000 a year to around $50,000 a year. Uh, that's not every place, by the way. In my, in my district, I think if you look at the, uh, the average income, it's probably lower than that. But we've seen, we've seen wages drop. We've seen cost of living go up because of energy uh, that drives the price of everything up, whether it's the milk you put on your cereal in the morning, the clothes you put on your back, or anything else in our life. Energy costs drive it higher. So if we can reduce that cost of energy with an unbelievable, it's abundant, it's accessible, and it's affordable. We can create so many jobs. There's millions of jobs waiting to be created right now in the private industry. And, I, and Richard, if we ever turn loose the public lands and actually start to go after some of this energy, oh my goodness, it's uh, it's a phenomenal future for the country right now if we're looking the right way. Yeah, well, it's encouraging to hear that. I mean, I suppose you know, again, dealing with the bureaucracies and 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 how it just seems <laughs> oh, so out of control, it seems a little scary. Uh, but you know, and then. Um, well, and especially, you know, I, I got to ask you too, and I'm and I'm not that. Yeah. Forgive me for being ignorant about uh, Western Pennsylvania, uh, but is uh, especially with this uh, climate speech that came out uh, last week, is oh, with the yeah. coal. How, how big is coal in your district? The coal is coal's big. Coal's always been big. You know, forty percent of Pennsylvania's electric uh, is generated in coal-powered uh, uh, plants. Uh, but what I've seen happen, and, and we know this. Listen, this president said early on as a candidate. You could continue to make uh, electricity if you wanted using coal-fired power plants, but we'll bankrupt you. And that's what they've done. They've, they've made it so difficult on the people that mine coal, on the people that use coal. Uh, they keep raising the bar and raising the bar and raising the bar, and you say, how good does it have to be? Well, just a little bit better. And you say, well, but the metrics that you're establishing aren't reachable, and this is not Mike Kelly saying it. This is the people that do the testing say we can't measure to that degree. I say, but that's the standard. Sorry, folks, that's the standard. And that's why, you know, um, when I talk to my friends, it's all oh, this Department of Energy is driving me crazy. I said, forget the Department of Energy. They're, they're a little bit wacky in what they've done as far as investing taxpayer dollars and stuff that doesn't make any sense. They would never handle any of my portfolio. But it's the Department of the Interior, and it's the EPA, and it's the regulation upon regulation upon regulation, and the holding up of permits to do this that puts people on the sidelines and eventually puts them out of business. We have shut down in West Virginia, Ohio, and, and, and uh, southwest Pennsylvania. We're actually losing towns, whole towns, not just the mine, not just the power plant. We're losing whole towns because these are places that forever have supplied coal, which has been the greatest fossil fuel we've had up to this time to, to create power. And we put the limits on them and raised the price so high that it's hurt us. The other thing that's hurting coal right now, of course, is a downturn in China's economy, and that's a big. Uh, that's one of the places that we ship a lot of coal to. Uh, but again, supply and demand. Uh, price of coal is down. The cost of bringing it out of the ground is much much higher, and the market starts to falter a little bit. But this is an opportunity again. If you can look past where we are right now, and as you said, listen, a lot of people look at an opportunity. There's risk involved, but if the rewards outweigh the risk. You go ahead and you take the risk, knowing that you could fail, but also knowing that you could hit it big. And this is where these entrepreneurs, I just, I just told them such high esteem, they're willing to take that risk, invest their private dollars, not use taxpayer uh, funds and put them in green energy things that go, that go upside down and go bankrupt, but they use their, their own dollars. All they ask for is get your boot off our throat so we can right. breathe. Yeah. 
you know, obviously running a business and, and I can tell based on my you know, watching you in, in these hearings and listening to you talk now, I mean, you're certainly oozing common sense. Running a business certainly has its leadership challenges. I'm curious a little bit about your leadership philosophy and, and who do you who do you hold in high esteem when it comes to leadership? Who are your heroes? Oh, jeez. I mean, there's so many. Um, now, if you talk about just leadership in Washington, uh, or are we talking about across the country? I've had the opportunity anywhere. to meet so many people uh, lately that I, I look at and say, my gosh, we've got a great opportunity right now. There, there's, there's, there's so much talent in America right now. I mean, there's a show out there called America's Got Talent, right. and it really has to do with people, I think, singing and dancing and, and doing some juggling acts and doing everything else. But when you look at the leadership talent, you look at our country, you look at the entrepreneurs that have been out there, you look at people like Stephen Gates, or Bill Gates, and you look at Dell, and you, and you look at Jobs, uh, Jobs. Uh, you look at all these folks, you look at Forbes, you look at all these people, and those are the ones we know. Uh, Trump, uh, of course, everybody thinks about Trump being successful, but there are so many successful people, Warren Buffett. And you say, why can't we go to the people who have been successful, go to them and make them our management team? Why can't we go to them and ask them for information? My understanding, and I've never met one-on-one with the president, I understand there is a wealth, a wealth of folks out there with knowledge and experience that he could go to, but he doesn't seem to value their information or their their uh, knowledge as much as he should. So, I mean, there's not any one person, but you look in any field. I mean, where in, in the world you, you, would you have one country that has so many people that could be on the economic all-star team, say, these people have been so successful, let's go talk to them, let's find out what made them great. One of the things I, I heard uh, Steve Forbes say, and I thought this was so, this kind of hit the nail on the head. He said, you know what, look at the size of the market when you're talking about health care. This is one of the fastest-growing pieces. It's over one-sixth of our economy. Who you won't find in healthcare are any of these entrepreneurs. And why won't they go there? And the answer is obvious. I say, well, I don't know. Why, Steve? He says, because there's too much government there now. They won't go into an area where they know that they can't breathe, where they can't innovate, where they can't get people excited because you have a government that's going to step in and try to st- stick their nose in something that they don't know what they're doing. My goodness, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, every day, heck, every day, every minute, somebody finds something about that, and they say, oh, my God, unsustainable. I just came from a checkup with my doctor today, and, I, and he said, I said, how are you doing? He goes, good. He said, but, geez, I don't know how much longer we can withstand this Patient Protection Affordable Care Act because we're getting sliced and diced and cut back in every which way. Uh, I don't know that we'll be able to sustain the type of services that we give. So when I heard Steve Forbes say that, and, and you think about it, honestly, Richard, think of it. This is one area where entrepreneurs will not go into, and they will not go into it because the risk exceeds the reward. They know they're going to get vilified for going in there. They're going to be overregulated and overtaxed. So they say, you know what? Not going there, guys. Not going there. I just had a – my daughter had a major surgery um, last month, about five weeks ago, to uh, for uh, correct scoliosis, a curved spine, and and there's only in in a is very successful, and it was one of the top doctors here in uh, the Wichita area. There's only one or two that really do it. He's been doing it for 35 years. You know, he's in his early 60s, and um, he said that to me, and he was like, I, he goes, I've never seen anything like this. He goes, I'm very, he says, I'm very scared about where it's going to go and he says with me you know i i, I don't have much longer to, to do it anyway but he sees that and, you know, there's a lot of people he says the talent he says it's completely different than it was 35 years ago and he says he's just he's not 
optimistic about where it's going. Well, you know, one of my friends, Dr. Nieto here in Butler, he's the guy that took my uh, my gallbladder out. And I was talking to him. I said, how's it going? He says, you know what, Mike, I want to retire, but I can't. And I said, well, what's what's wrong? I mean, you, you've been in business for a long time. You're doing this. No, 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 no. It's not that I, it's not the financial, it's at the hospital. When I leave, there's nobody to take my place, and there's nobody coming up. And I thought to myself, my goodness, that's and what you just said about with your daughter, and good luck on your daughter. I hope oh, she's great. Yeah, thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. But, you know, where are we going to find these people? Because, Richard, when you make it so hard for people to get there, they stop trying to go. They'll say, why should I bang my head on a wall? Why should I do this? And then when I get there, they're going to keep cutting my reimbursements. They're going to make me the devil. They'll make me the problem. And then one of the, again, Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, this president is so divisive. He has taken people. Bill Patterson, a friend of mine up in Erie, Pennsylvania, that has uh, Burger Kings. He's taken those folks and said, no, no, a 40-hour week is not a, that's not a full work week. A 30-hour week is a full work, work week. Now, people that have worked for years for Bill, uh, he's dividing between Bill and his people. These, we have great relationships in my business. I've been to weddings. I've been to funerals. I've been to, I've been to baptisms and, and birthdays. And, and what we've done is we've taken that close relationship that the, business, the person who runs the business, has to have with the people who help them run the business. We get to, we get through things together as a team. It's no one person being a genius. It's everybody working together and, and using each other's strengths and, and talents uh, and abilities to make it successful. But when you drive a wedge like that, all of a sudden, your enemy becomes your employer. And you look at it, so why is that? Well, because we had to make choices based on health care that have driven us to a point we don't know what to do. So as a result, we back off of it altogether. We don't do anything. You kind of get that deer in the headlights thing where you stand on the side of the road and refuse to jump in because you don't know what's going to come next. This has been such a divisive five years. It's getting worse. Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, dividing people like crazy, taking especially low, and think about this, Richard, low-income families that really relied on those, those 40 hours but you know what you do? You dial them back now. You dial them back. you got to dial them back under 30. So that guy or gal that was working one job, now we're going to have to find maybe another job or uh, three jobs in order to keep the same income level up. It's been absolutely, it's been totally destructive to the, the morale of the workforce in our country. That's one of the big things that I look at. I said, why would you do that to people? Why would you put them in that position? Why would you sell them a bill of goods years ago? Oh, if you, if you like what you have, you can keep it. Oh, don't worry. We're going to bring down the cost. Everything that was said then is not true now. Affordable and accessible, neither one are true. And we're having less and less people going into the field because they see no light at the end of the tunnel. All they see is a dead end. And so these things are horrible for the country. The health of the country is so critical. Not just its physical health, but its mental health. And when we can't get people excited about getting up in the morning and throwing your feet out over the bed and going to work because you know you can take care of your, your wife and your family, you know you can plan for their future, you know you can up uh, them uh, their standard of life, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're fighting this every day. And you know what? Doggone it. It's not somebody from a foreign land who's hurting us now. It's our own internal uh, uh, regulations from our government that's making it difficult for us to have uh, an, uh, a look towards the future that's positive. You know, it struck me a lot, uh, especially watching the Wayne's Means hearings and um, on display is this um, total lack of accountability. And again, of course, at the mm-hmm. core of leadership is accountability. And I was yeah. just awestruck at how many people, when you were at guys asking them questions like, well, I don't know, it wasn't me. And, and someone even, uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but... Um, 
at one gentleman is like, well, how can you expect me to be responsible for somebody in, in Ohio? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, at the core of leadership, you have to be accountable regardless of, especially the failures of the people that you are accountable for. And it just, just doesn't seem like anybody is understands what accountability means anymore. And that's very discouraging. It is discouraging, but, but think about it. Uh, listen, there, there's an old saying out there that the speed of the chief is the speed of the crew. Right. When you have the chief executive officer who has yet to make a statement on these scandals that are taking place, but has left it to people below him a different pay grade and let them go out and message on something that's so totally off the wall, whether you go back to Ambassador Rice uh, talking about Benghazi, whether you go back to the, the IRS, whether you go back to the, the AP, whether you go back to, uh, I mean, God bless him, I, I know he's spent a lot of time, the FBI director, Mr. Mueller. Whenever you have the heads of these agencies all saying the same thing, don't know, so big, can't keep track of it. Whenever you have the president uh, thinking that global warming is the main problem right now for all of us, and all this other stuff is unwinding around him, when Axelrod says, look, you can't blame the president. This right. government's so big, he can't possibly have a knowledge of what's going on. And the next president, the problem is, it's just not big enough yet. Say, wait, wait, stop the right. music. Stop the music right now. You know what? Listen, I may have been born in the morning, but not this morning. You guys are stepping all over yourself with this, and I'm sick and tired of seeing them divert that, that spotlight away from them and their irresponsible behavior and their inability. They're either totally incompetent or just totally unable to fix things. And yeah. what they do is you always point the finger to the person who accused you. That goes back to the, the old Stalinsky stuff. Attack the attacker. Say, oh, no, no, you guys are making me look bad because you're bad people. I mean, listen, if it wasn't for these obsessive Republicans, this IRS scandal would be over. Benghazi, my gosh, that happened, what now, was what did Carney say, eight months ago? Now it's ten months ten ago. Ten months, yeah. Oh, you don't need to talk to the survivors. Let them go. They're trying to get better. Uh, the, the Secretary of State at the time, Mrs. Clinton, says, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Well, here's the difference, ma'am. You were in charge. The Department of State is solely re responsible for the security of these, these uh, embassies overseas. And every single thing we could look at coming up to the date of September 11th, every indication was, don't be there, get out of there. The U.K. left. My goodness, the Red Cross left. The only person left there was our ambassador, totally unprotected. They even pulled out the few that we had there, the special ops guys, pulled them out, and then this like scratching their head. We don't know how it happened. We still haven't arrested one person. This stuff really bothers me, Richard, by the way, and I do get wound up on it. Why would we sit back as a people and allow time to insulate them from very irresponsible, bad behavior that they need to be held accountable for? Uh, and the IRS thing is going to get deeper and deeper. You know, fortunately, fortunately, people are becoming more emboldened. You know, and I, I tried some of them. We've got your back. Listen, don't think for one minute that we're going to turn away from you and you're going to be left to these folks. I, I, you know how it is. When you're across the desk from them, when the shoe's on the other mm -hmm, foot, and right. they're asking you things, just imagine saying, you know what, I can't explain all these expenses. Uh, I know it looks crazy from your standpoint, but I think those are credit cards that we lost. Uh, somebody stole them. Said, "Did you ever report them?" Uh, no, no. But we're going to do that. We're going to we're, we're going to work it. You would not be allowed to do one of those things. And these folks say it with a straight face and look at you like, "Who are you to ask me these things? You understand who I am?" Say, so, "Yes, yes." And do you understand who I am? I represent the taxpayers of the United States, and we have an obligation to get the answers for them. And if you think for one minute 
I'm going to back off because you're feigning, you know, oh, it's too big, it's too hard, uh, it's not your responsibility, it's not my job, bull. We're going after them. What's the latest on the Ways and Means? Are you guys uh, still pressing? I haven't uh, looked at it for the last yeah. couple of weeks. Are, are you yeah. guys still meeting? Yeah, well, well I think, that again, as, as more and more information comes forward, uh, and one of the things that we've got to do, and, and I think Chairman Camp has been just phenomenal on this, he won't just go after anything. He wants to make sure that we've looked into it fully, make sure that when we talk about it, we're not hurting somebody who's innocent. And the main thing I want to say, listen, not, listen, not all these folks at the IRS are bad people. They're not, and, but I think that it, at the very least, they, they need to fess up to the people. What is this been going on? There are some bad eggs there, and some of these things will happen when you target people because of the word patriot or tea party or something in their name. Now, I know they said, well, some progressives were, were looked at, too. Yeah, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, we looked at a couple. You know what? Gosh, they were okay. But these other folks, we transferred to another bench another uh, another uh, area and you know when you're waiting two years three years to get this and you're saying wait this doesn't make sense come on come on come on so uh, we'll continue to proceed um, you know one of the things I think it does bring out and, and this is this is what's astounding to me and I heard Mr. Warfel and try to look into his background because he seems like he's got a great background but I'm looking now at a young man who's been brought in to run a 90,000 person agency 90,000 people Agents, and what all is in there, trying to figure out a 75,000-page code with an $11 billion a year budget and saying, you know what we need? We need more money. That's the problem. We just don't have enough money to run this place. And my goodness, we're going to have to be handling the, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. You know, we've got a lot of things we've got to get done there. And then you look at the other information the, with the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act with the hub where all this data on you and me, my wife, my kids, my neighbors. They're going to have this collection of data that's out there floating around. Uh, you look at it and say, you know what, we've got to stay on top of this. We've got to make it. The IRS has got to get under control. We've got to make it a code that's easier to understand, flatter, fair. Uh, there's less loopholes and subsidies, and I, I think that's just American. Make it fair. I don't mind paying my fair share, and I, and I know you don't either, but gosh, it burns my rear end when I see the way they waste it. Uh, we can do it the right way. We can give people certainty to the future, especially those people in, uh, that are trying to plan. You can't plan things when you don't know what the code's going to be. I mean, you can't even plan your death anymore. They can't leave you alone. Even when you're, you're six feet under, they're still trying to get at every penny you earned in your life after you already paid taxes on it. Now, now somebody else wants to it's this grab bag effect. So I, I think we could make it a lot easier. And I think if we can do that, and I think the chairman's been very good about this, we can restore faith and confidence the American people and the government that they elect to represent them. And that's the key. We've got to be very careful when we vote for people. Who is this guy? Who is this girl? What's their real background? And have they actually proven themselves on any level? Bumper stickers are fine and slogans are fine and everything else, but have you actually walked the walk? I know you can talk it, but have you actually walked it? What have you done in your real life that would give me the confidence that I'm going to go to you and say, you know what, please, Go and represent me fairly in our nation's capital. That's all I'm asking as a voter. Represent me fairly. I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to, to put my fair share in. Don't waste my money. And let me look to the future to know that it's going to be good, not just for me and my wife and our kids and our grandkids, but my neighbors and people that live in the next town over and people that live in the next state. That's all we're asking. Well, like you said, people like you fighting the good fight. I agree with what you're saying. Um, you're in a 
for an organization, you know, that the trust is uh, is broken, and you guys are in, need need to get it fixed. And guys like you, I think, are are, are doing the common sense approach is certainly gonna is certainly the solution. So, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I love talking to you. I'm a big fan of you. Anything I do to support you and, and your cause, just keep up the common sense approach and uh, keep the fight up for us, and, and uh, hopefully we'll win out at the end of the day. Uh, well, you know what? We will win out at the end of the day. The only thing we – this is – <laughs> I, I have a sign that I keep up uh, in my office, and it says, with God, all things are possible. No, I know people worship different ways, but listen, there's no other place in the world, Richard, that you can change it the way we can change it in the United States, and that is by being totally committed to our to our former government and our way of life. You have to be totally committed. It's not from our, it's not an hour-to-hour thing. And a lot of that, I tell people, listen, you may have got it off your chest, but you didn't get it off your plate. we got to get it fixed. It's fallen on my generation. Uh, my dad had to fight World War II. This one we have to fight, and shame on us. This is not an option. We've got to do it. All of us, together, as Americans, can fix this. Uh, but we just have to stay the course. Amen. But well thank said. You, thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, stay on the line. I'm going to stop the recording. We'll chat for a couple seconds afterwards. Okay. But, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. Yes, sir. Thank you, Richard. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.